cool to remember the day and, and the moments uh, when people were born. Jesus is the same, right? We celebrate Christmas because we love to tell the birth story uh, of Jesus. And uh, you probably don't remember this. If you if you do, then we did a really good job of preaching, Greg and I. But uh, two years ago, we, we kind of told the story of Jesus through the prayers that were said at the time of Jesus being born. So the prayer of, of uh, Mary uh, and the prayer of, uh, of, of, of uh, the guy, Simeon, there he is, Simeon, who, who takes Jesus in his arms. And last year, we took a really detailed look at the book of Luke and what he says about the birth story. And we kind of dispelled some myths about the birth of Jesus and, and tried to really give like a full picture. And uh, I even passed out pamphlets to you last year with all of that information. And if you weren't here or don't have that anymore, I can make you another copy of that because I think it's pretty good and it's a, it's a really full explanation of, of really the birth story of Jesus. But there is one group that, that seems to be forgotten a lot of times when we study the story of Jesus and, and they're an important group. One, one author says this about this group, other than the Holy Spirit, they are the most pivotal players in the drama that we know as the Christmas story. They are the most pivotal players in the accounts God gave us of the birth of Jesus our Lord. Matthew the Evangelist tells us that it was one of them who brought the announcement of the upcoming birth to Joseph. Luke the Evangelist tells us that it was one of them who brought the announcement of the upcoming birth to Mary. And Luke again tells us that it was a host of them who brought the birth announcement to the shepherds. Now, you could probably guess who I'm talking about. Any guesses? The angels. Very good. The angels play a really pivotal role in the story uh, of Jesus and his birth. They were not the ones hiding behind the curtain. They are really in the front row of this. And, and we kind of know that, that they're important to the story, right? Uh, they go on top of trees sometimes if we don't want to put a star. And so that kind of signifies their importance. Uh, every person wants their daughter or granddaughter or niece to be the angel in the Christmas pageant, right? That's like the, the coveted spot because then your little girl's an angel. And so we know that they, they kind of have this importance role. But I think, maybe I'm wrong, but I think what we oftentimes forget is the, the details of the things they tell us about the birth of Jesus. You see, they didn't just come on the scene and, and say, hey, Jesus is coming. They actually give us some very important theological truths about the importance and the significance of Jesus and his birth and therefore Christmas. And so when we talk about, you know, I want to remember the reason for the season and, and we talk about wanting to be focused on Jesus and not just the presents that we'll get or the food that we'll eat or the family that we have to spend time with. Uh, and we talk about that stuff, uh, but sometimes that's difficult for us. And I think what's going to happen is we look at Christmas through the eyes of the angels is that we will see the significance of Jesus' birth. And I believe that if we will take it seriously, then it will draw us back to the real meaning of Jesus, of Christmas, excuse me, because we will recognize its importance. We will start to see, I think, that, that presents aren't that important, and family, while, while they're great, they aren't that important when we line them up next to the importance of what Jesus did for us and the reason for his birth. And so I want to look at Christmas through what the angels have to say. And I just mentioned the three times that we'll look at in the next several weeks. First of all, uh, this time that we'll look at today in Matthew 1, where, where an angel appears to Joseph and says, Hey, uh, this baby Jesus is, is from the Holy Spirit. And, and then we'll look at the angel that, that talks to Mary and says, Hey, you're going to have a baby. Uh, I know you're a virgin, but you're going to have a baby. And, and then we'll look at what the angels have to say to the shepherds. 
So today, uh, before we look at what the angels say, I think it's important just for uh, just for the sake of story to kind of set the story up. And so if you continue on in verse 18, it says this. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, it says here that they're pledged to be married, and this isn't something that we really have in our society today. In, in our world, we have, we have um, a, a proposal and an engagement, uh, and then we have the actual marriage. Uh, for the Jewish people uh, at the time of Jesus, they had really something in between that. What they had was, was a proposal that, that led to a full commitment, but the people would not come together in marriage, and they would not come together and consummate the marriage through sex uh, during an interim period. In, in interim, interim period, interim period, in between those two things. And so, uh, the guy, Joseph in this case, would, would say, hey, I want to marry your daughter. Here is, uh, a couple sheep. Um, is that okay with you? And they'd say yes. And so, they would, they would finalize this deal. But then, for about 12 to 18 months, they would be separate. And after that time, they would come together and they would consummate the marriage through having sex. And so, Mary and Joseph are in this middle period. They have, they have been pledged to each other. They are uh, legally married. For them to separate is to get a divorce. They are fully committed to one another. But they are not hanging out. They are not together. And they are not fully married yet. And so, in this period... They would, they would use it for testing of a person's faithfulness. And, and so after the marriage, we won't go into details, but they would, they would make sure that, that the woman had not been unfaithful to the man, uh, in that time period. And so, so they are in this, this time, this 12 to 18 months, when they are legally married. And so for, for them to have sex with anybody else would be adultery. And all of a sudden, it's found that Mary is pregnant. It says here through the Holy Spirit, and, and we'll come back to that. But Joseph doesn't know that. Joseph just says, well, this woman's pregnant, so she committed adultery. She has been unfaithful to me. And so Joseph really has three choices in, in the Jewish society that he lived in, being a Jewish person himself. The first is that he can say, hey, I want this woman to be stoned to death. And if you were go, to go back to Deuteronomy uh, 22, you'd see that, that in there, it, it gives us a picture of the Old Testament law. And it says this, if a man happens to meet in a town, a virgin pledged to be married, and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. The young woman, because she was in a town and did not scream for help, and the man, because he violated another man's wife, you must purge the evil from among you. And so, as time went on, they saw this as meaning that they could stone uh, a woman who was found to be unfaithful to their husband. And so, Joseph could have asked for that. He could have demanded, hey, this is what our law says. I want you to kill this woman for being an adulteress and for cheating on me. His second option, which was the normal option at the time, was to have her publicly disgraced. So they'd put her up on a stand or whatever, make her wear her scarlet A and, and say, look, this woman was unfaithful to me. This woman had sex with somebody else. Look, she's pregnant. And you would just humiliate her in front of everybody. And that probably would have lasted for her entire life. She would have been a disgrace in her community, a disgrace to her family. She would have been humiliated forevermore. And so Joseph had that option. And that in fact, was the normal option at the time, to drag her out in public and to make fun of her and mock her and make her look horrible. But Joseph, because he's a righteous man, 
because he's a kind man, uh, says, I'm not going to do either of those things. I'm going to instead just divorce her quietly. Now, Joseph didn't believe that he could marry this woman and be faithful to the law of God. That's why it says here that he was a righteous man. That's why it includes that. See, he looked at it and he said, look, she's an unfaithful woman and I don't think God would want me with an unfaithful woman. And so he says, I have to divorce her but I, because I love her and because I am a righteous person, I, I don't want to publicly humiliate her. And so I'll go down to the courthouse in our terms and I'll sign the papers and we'll be done with this. And so Joseph is thinking about these things. I mean, this is his options. What do I do? I'm just going to divorce her quietly and we'll be on with it. I'll, I'll do the gracious thing. They'll find out eventually that she's pregnant, right, and unfaithful and they'll disgrace her then. But at least I can protect her for a short time. And so that's kind of the situation here. And, and I think we need to, to pay attention to that situation because that, that's a tough spot for Joseph, right? It's really easy just to say, well, that's the story, you know, and look, an angel's about to appear to him. But, but think about the time before this angel appears. Joseph Joseph is in a really difficult situation. He was about to get married, and now his heart has been broken because he had, he had paid his goats or his sheep, and, and he loved this woman, and he thought he was marrying her, and now she has cheated on him, and she is pregnant, and it's going to be embarrassing to him and embarrassing to her. A very horrible situation. In verse 20, we pick up the story. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. So Joseph goes to sleep, and this, and this angel appears to him. And, and the angel leads out with Joseph, son of David. Now, Joseph was in the line of David. He was an ancestor of David. But but truth be told, this isn't what Joseph would have walked around thinking about or, or or being called, right? I mean, I've been told another thing my grandma has made clear to me through the years, we have some, you know, famous people in, in our history, right? Uh we some giant chapel in Europe, I can't remember the name, it shows how well it sticks, but uh, was built by one of our ancestors. But I, I don't ever get called, hey, Chad, son of the guy that built that famous chapel. Nobody's ever, nobody's ever referred to me that. You're welcome to, I'm okay with that, but I've never been called that before, right? And we have soldiers that fought in the Civil War and we're proud of that in our family. But nobody says, hey, Chad, you know, you're son of, of one of the soldiers that helped us become, that stay one nation, you know, united together. Nobody, nobody's ever called me that. And I'm sure that nobody had ever called Joseph son of David before. He was probably proud of that lineage. He probably uh, was proud to be in the line of, of King David, the mighty king that, that had really reigned uh, greater than any other king in the history of Israel. He, I'm sure he was proud of that. But nobody had come up to him and said that probably ever before. Now, if you don't know, just to catch you up, he's not literally the son of David. He's an ancestor of David, and that's what the angel means. So when the angel says this, He's not just saying something that would have been normal to Joseph. He's making clear something to Joseph. He is making a point, and the point needs to be made for us today. And that is that through Joseph, Jesus is in the royal line of David. Now, the 
author Matthew has made very clear that, that Jesus is not the biological son. If you were to look at verse 16, you see that, that Jesus is the son of Mary who was married to Joseph. It doesn't say the son of Joseph. And if you look at the New Testament, Joseph is never called Jesus' dad. It, it doesn't show up in the New Testament. And Jesus is never called Joseph's son except for uh, by one person who says, isn't this the son uh, of a carpenter? But the writers never say, the, the biblical writers never say, hey, this is the son of Joseph. And that's because uh, of this thing called the virgin birth that we'll come back to in a second. But uh, but what we need to see is that, that Jesus was the legal son of Joseph and therefore in the legal lineage of King David. Now if you go back to David and you look at his life, God makes David a promise. He says to David, hey, you will have a, a king on the throne forever. And even when David is uh, in his sin, and even when, when David is seeing that his sons are fighting against him and there's all these problems, God continues to make clear to David that somebody is going to come after him who will sit on his throne forever as the ruler. And as the story progresses past David, what we see from the Old Testament prophets is that this king will come and he will be the Messiah. Those are synonymous. It will be the son of David. And this king will set everything right for the Jewish people and even for the whole world. And so the Jewish people are constantly looking forward to somebody in the line of David who will sit on the throne as ruler forevermore and will make things right for all the world, including the Gentile people. Now, when the angel says, hey, Joseph, son of David, what he's saying is, hey, guy that is the biological, not the biological, the, the legal father, excuse me, of the one who is going to sit on the throne of David and save this world and rule over it forevermore. And so the first thing that we see in the very opening statement from these angels is that when Jesus came onto the earth, he wasn't just some guy, but he was the king that had been promised for thousands of years that came to set things right. We see that Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords, the Messiah of the Israelite people. What's really fascinating is that in 70 A.D., the, the Jewish uh, people are attacked and, and the temple is, is torn down. And, and at that time in 70 AD, all of the records uh, of genealogies were destroyed for the Jewish people. And so when people come on, on the scene today in our world and claim to be the Messiah, uh, they have no way of proving that. And, and if you go to... If you go to a Jewish person and say, hey, are you looking for the Messiah? They will say yes, but today there is no way for the Jewish people to ever prove that the Messiah is in the line of David. But Jesus would have been able to easily prove that. He would have said, go down and look at my records. I am the legal son of Joseph. You can go down to the temple right now, pull it out, look at the genealogies. They kept very extensive genealogies, and you will see that I am in the line of David. That can't happen anymore, and it's a great proof that Jesus truly was the Messiah who came to save the world. What's really interesting is that no historian, early historian I should say, and no biblical writer records anybody ever saying, hey, this guy's not really in the line of David. Jesus was the one that had been promised to David and had been promised throughout the years that followed David to come and sit on the throne and rule forevermore and set things right in our world. And the angels remind us of that. So when we celebrate Christmas, when we go through this holiday season, we are not just celebrating the birth of anybody. We're not just celebrating the birth of, of a guy named Jesus even. We are celebrating the birth of somebody that had been looked forward to for thousands of years, way before Jesus came on the scene. 
Next thing that he says is, hey, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Now, that's an important thing for Joseph to hear, right? Because I'm sure there were about a million fears running through him at the time. I mean, I, I can't even imagine what the fears were really, but man, uh, are people going to hate this woman forever because I divorce her? Uh, am I going to look bad? Are people going to think that I'm the one who slept with her? Are people going to think that, that uh, I wasn't man enough to, to keep my woman under check, right? And, and he probably had those fears. Are, are people going to think that I'm handling this wrong and I should publicly disgrace her? What are people going to think and what is going to happen? And I'm sure that the moment that this angel came and said, hey, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. It was probably a great moment for Joseph because he was probably really scared. What we don't think about is that Mary was probably 12 to 14 years of age and Joseph was probably five or six years older than that. And so this is an 18 year old kid trying to deal with a woman who has been unfaithful to him and is now pregnant and trying to know how to handle that and not disgrace himself and his family and Mary. I'm sure there were tons of fears. And when the angel opens its mouth and says, hey, don't be afraid, it was probably pretty comforting for him. And then the reason the because this is very important because uh, one of the most important because is in all of history in fact because what is conceived in her is from the holy spirit this is a statement of the virgin birth he's saying look mary did not have sex with another man the holy spirit has made mary pregnant now Lots of people uh, try to give meanings to what exactly that means and how exactly that works. And uh, I want to tell you the truth. First of all, we don't exactly know what that looks like. We have uh, really no clue how humanity melded, melded, that's a word, melded with, with divinity in order to create this child named Jesus inside of Mary. We don't know what that looks like. If you can go home and Google it, and they'll probably have lots of opinions. And, you know, some will say, and this is a wrong one, that, that God actually had sex with Mary. So don't believe that one but there's probably lots of other opinions that could be right out there and i've seen some so i know there's lots of other opinions that that could be right we don't know what that looked like and i'm not going to stand up here and and try to tell you what that looked like now there's other people who try to say that this virgin birth was important for for Jesus to not be sinful. But the Bible doesn't teach that so much. And, and when you look at it, what you see is that, that Jesus is credited for remaining sinless. He fights temptation in Matthew 4, and, and the authors say that he lived a sinless life. And so, really, the credit goes to the actual life of Jesus when it comes to his sinlessness. And besides that, to say that the virgin birth was necessary in order for Jesus to not have original sin and not give in a sin really makes original sin come through the man. And while some women would love for that to be the case and to be able to point to the Bible and say, hey, look, you are the source of original sin, uh, that is just not what the Bible teaches. But there is great significance in, in the virgin birth, and, uh, and we see some of that in the Bible. Luke tells us um, one thing about that significance, and Matthew tells us uh, a couple of other things. So let's look at that. First of all, in Luke, it emphasizes the divine power and grace of God. And so when you read the story of Luke and he talks about the virgin birth, what he's saying is look at the power of God and look at the grace that he is offering you in his son who is being given to you apart from anything that a man could do. And so Luke really emphasizes that. But Matthew, our, our passage here today, emphasizes something else. Um, first of all, he emphasizes that this is a fulfillment of prophecy. Now, I've taught all the way through the book of Matthew pretty much, and, and uh, what you 
quickly understand about the book of Matthew is that it is written to prove to people that Jesus was really the Messiah. He's writing to a very Jewish audience, and over and over and over again he says, this is to fulfill what was written about long ago. Just read the first three chapters. Go home and read the first three chapters and and count how many times Matthew says this was to fulfill what was talked about long ago. And so in in this virgin birth statement, if you look forward to uh, a few more verses, 22 and 23, it says this, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. And so when the angels come on the scene and they say, Hey, this baby was not born from a normal man and a woman relationship. This baby has been conceived through the Holy Spirit. In part, what the angels are saying is this baby is fulfilling a prophecy that comes from thousands of years ago. Now, the prophecy goes back to the book of Isaiah. And in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14, we read basically that. His name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, the story matters there for us to understand why the angels bring this up again. Basically, what's happened uh, is there is a king who is the son of the great Uzziah, who was a godly man. But this king is horrible, right? And, and the king is, is not godly at all. He reinstates idol worship, and he actually burns one of his children on an idol uh, as a sacrifice. And so he's a horrible king. And he looks around and he sees these other two kings that are coming together because they want to replace him and they want to put their their puppet king uh, into power. And so they they put together this plan to destroy him. And and this king says, hey, I got to go get some help. I'm going to get some allies. But Isaiah comes to him and Isaiah says, look, you don't need allies because God is going to bring the Israelite people through this. You don't need to go out and find other kings to protect you because God is going to protect you. And the king says, yeah, right, that's not what I'm going with. I don't care about your God, and, and I'm just going to, to go out and do things the way that the world does things. And Isaiah offers, in, in Isaiah 7:14 his statement, uh, a son will be born and his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And what Isaiah is saying in that moment to the people of Israel is, look, God is not going to allow people to be destroyed. God is not going to allow your nation to be destroyed. And God is not going to allow others to be destroyed. What's, what's interesting about this prophecy is it's, it's really a twofold prophecy. And, and, and it is first fulfilled just a little time later. Uh, there is an, a son born of a young woman and, and, and he, he raises up and God has already destroyed this king. And he's, he's protected Israel. He's destroyed the kings who were going to come against the Israelites. And that's what I meant to say. He didn't destroy the king. He, he destroyed destroyed the kings who were going to come against the Israelites. And so we see it fulfilled once. And when these angels come on the scene and they say, look, he's going to be born of a virgin, what they're saying and what Matthew is telling us as he reiterates Isaiah 7:14 is, look, the prophecy has been fulfilled once. And again in Jesus, we see prophecy fulfilled, and that is the prophecy that God will not let humanity die. God is going to protect us. God is going to come to this earth to save sinful people. And so the angels tell us that that prophecy is being fulfilled. Now, the other aspect that Matthew is really trying to emphasize for us is simply that, that Jesus is God. 
The virgin birth in the book of Matthew it isn't just about God's love for us and God's grace for us, but it, but it really tells us that God has come to our earth. And again, you see that in Isaiah 7:14, right? It means God with us. And if you skip down to 22 and 23, Emmanuel, God with us. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, what the angels are telling us by reminding Joseph or telling Joseph that it is through the Holy Spirit it is that God has come to the earth. In the person of Jesus, God has taken on flesh. And so Jesus is this God-man who is fully God and fully human. And this becomes a major theme throughout the New Testament. If you were to look at John 1, 1 through 4, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus is the creator of the world. He is the God of the world. John 1, 14, the Word, Jesus, became flesh at Christmas, I added that, and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Philippians 2, 6-8 says, Who being in very nature God, talking about Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to death on the cross. Colossians 3 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of His one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The angels are saying, This baby is the one who was promised. This baby is the baby who is God and He has come on this earth. It's really fascinating is, is a, a rabbi years later, um, in about 1000 A.D., uh, who was not a Christian man, uh, said, Hey, God is going to come, and He's going to come to the earth in a, in a form uh, through a virgin. And so even a, a Jewish person who was against Christianity recognized that this is the way that God was supposed to come onto the planet through a virgin. And, and so what we see in the Christmas story is that Jesus is God, and He has come to man. And if you look to the next verses, you see the reason that he has come to the earth because the angels say you are supposed to give him the name Jesus. Now, Jesus is the name uh, in Hebrew, Joshua or Jeshua or Jehoshua. uh, And really, they don't pronounce their J's. There is no J in Hebrew. And so really what we see is Yeshua. And it's a form of Yeshua. And we read it in Greek in the Bible. And Yeshua simply meant God saves. And it's pretty easy to see what the angels are saying to Joseph. They're saying, look, in this person that, that your wife is about to give birth to, you have the God of the universe coming to this earth as a man to save people from their sins. The angels are making clear right from the get-go in the birth story of Jesus that it isn't just some normal birth, but it is a birth where the king of the world, who is also the God of the world, has come down here to save sinful humanity. That is what makes Christmas so beautiful. And when, as we were praying this morning in the prayer room before the service, I just touched with this thought and uh, we look at our bulletins you can open your bulletin and look and you see the prayer requests and there's other prayer requests that aren't even in that bulletin that i know and and i look at the stuff that's going on around us and there's some really bad stuff in this world there's some really horrible stuff and god said i love people so much 
that I am going to be born onto that earth. And for 30 years, I'm going to live in the midst of all that. I'm going to live in the midst of, of people making fun of me. I'm going to live in the midst of my family members getting sick. I'm going to live in the midst of watching my loved ones die. I'm going to live in the midst of a, a world where there's war and there's pain and there's hurt. I'm going to live in the midst of my own sickness and my own hurt and the old, oh, my own things that I have to deal with. I'm going to live through middle school. I'm going to live through all of that because I want to have a relationship with you so much. And so God, the king of the world, came down here and he was born during Christmas so that he could live for 30 years in a world that is full of problems and pain and then, to top it all off, die for our sins, die in our place on the cross. In order for that to happen, he had to become a man in order to take the punishment of man upon himself. And so on the cross as he died, he died for all of humanity because he was fully a human. And the angels tell Joseph right from the beginning, look, you are going to have this son who is God with you and he is going to save the world through his death on a cross. And so as we celebrate Christmas, it is impossible for us to not celebrate communion. It is impossible for us not to remember the death of Jesus because the only reason that God had to come to this earth was to save you and I through dying a brutal death on the cross. And so today we are going to celebrate communion and I ask you just to remember that. That at Christmas we don't celebrate just the birth of somebody, but we celebrate the salvation of God because he was willing to be born onto this earth. So I'm going to say a prayer and, and Bobby's going to come up here and, and sing a song for us. And, and uh, as I pray, the, the ushers will pass out uh, communion to you. And I encourage you as you listen to the words of this song, beautiful song by my friend Bobby. Um, meet her after the service if you haven't met her yet. Uh, as you listen to these words, I just really encourage you uh, to be thankful because Jesus came to this earth, the God of the world came to this earth to save you through the, the, the body that he broke that we celebrate through the bread and, and the blood that he poured out that we celebrate through this juice that we will bring, that we will drink, excuse me. And, and as we go through Christmas, don't just say, well, this is great, I'm, I'm thankful for my friends and my family, but Thanksgiving's over and so no more thankfulness. But, but say, look, I am so thankful that you, God, would come here in this horrible, wretched world that is totally sinful and totally painful and needs to be destroyed someday so that we can live in eternity in heaven with God in perfection. You came here to die for my sins and allow yourself to be thankful and allow yourself to be thankful as we celebrate communion together today. So they'll pass it out as I pray and, and you can take it when you're ready um, as you believe that and you think about that and I'll come up here and pray again when we're done. Father, it's an amazing, amazing thing that you, Lord, would come down here to live on this earth. It, uh, it doesn't really fully make sense to me, God. I, I believe it, um, but I don't really get it. I don't really get what it looked like. I don't really get how you accomplished it, Lord. But I'm so thankful that you did, God, because it is the only thing that allows for me to know that someday I'm going to spend eternity with you. Lord, I pray that all of us in this room would be truly thankful for that, that gift. God, we think about the sacrifice of your death, but the sacrifice of your life was also great, Lord. That you would step out of the, the perfect harmony of heaven and come to this, uh, this world with broken notes, God, uh, is amazing. I ask, Lord, that, that we truly would be thankful during this holiday season, that, that we would be excited about what you did for us, maybe not fully understanding what it looked like, 
but fully recognizing how great it was and how amazing your grace truly is, Lord. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in your name. Lord, we truly are thankful for what you did for us on that cross. Um, Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to this earth, for living here and for dying for us. God, it's it's an amazing gift, um, and it really is the only gift that we can't live without, God. We think we can't live without certain presents or certain food or certain traditions this time of year, Lord, but the only thing that we can't live without, God, is you. So we thank you for that sacrifice that provides us with eternal life, Lord. We love you because you first loved us.